Good morning. We're so glad that you're here to worship with us. If you're a guest with us, we'd love for you to fill out the welcome card in the seat back pocket right in front of you. You can turn that in to one of our boxes in the, the back there. But we're here for one goal, and that's to worship the Lord. Let's stand together. Why don't you say hey to the person next to you, and then we'll worship together. Brethren, we have met to worship and adore the Lord our God. Will you pray with all your power while we try to preach the word? And that's our goal today. We are the body of Christ and we have one Father and one Lord. 
So when we meet together, we meet together for a purpose. And that is to praise Him, get bandaged up, and go on out there and tell the world about Him. Can you say this with me this morning? Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Let's give thanks to Him today for who we are in Christ. Let's sing together. Who am I that the highest King would welcome me? I was lost, but He brought me in. Oh, His love for me. Oh, His love for me. Sing it out today. Who the Son sets free. Oh, His free. child of God. Yes, I am. Free at last, He has ransomed me. His grace runs deep. While I was a slave to sin, Jesus died for me. Yes, He died for me. Who the Son child of God. Yes, I am. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me and not against me. I am who you say I am. Yes, I am who you say I am. Who the sun sets free. Oh, it's free indeed. I'm a child of a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Amen. We were bought with a price. Let's sing this together. Years I spent in vanity and pride. Caring not my Lord was crucified. No for me he died on Calvary. 
seated as we continue in worship. We've been given so much. Chief among those things is grace through the cross. We received a great father who has adopted to us into his family today. We spend the rest of our lives getting to know him better, abiding in him daily, and going in him to all the world. Oh, and I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night, and you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. And I've seen many searching for answers far and wide, but I know that we're all searching for answers only you provide cause you know just what we need before we say a word you're a good good father it's who you are it's who you are it's who you are and I'm loved by you it's who I am it's who I am it's who I am, you're a good, good father. It's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am, because you are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect. Because you are perfect in all of your ways, Jesus. You're perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are. As we continue to sing, just think of something in your heart that you're thankful for today. And tell him that you're thankful today. It's love so undeniable I, I can hardly speak peace so unexplainable 
Father, we love you and we pray today that we would get to know that love that you have given us all the more as we sing together, as we worship together, as we listen to your word being preached, as we remind ourselves of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, that we are alive because you have made us alive, given us a righteousness, not our own, that is filthy rags, but one that is yours. We love you, Lord. We thank you for that. We pray today that we would leave our our burdens at the door and let you pick them up on the way out so that we can do more of your will today. We pray for the word that will be preached about giving, by giving in abundance, Lord. We know that you love a cheerful giver today. We pray that we would not just give you some of our lives, but all of our lives today. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.
Amen. You know, I, I share this often, but I praise the Lord for all that He is doing through uh, the ministry of Brother Aaron and the choir and the orchestra and the ensemble. We are truly blessed here at Luke 418 with some amazing people that have great talents. And I just thank God for that as they give that talent to the Lord by singing. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, open up to Matthew chapter 6. We are continuing in the Sermon on the Mount. And, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I remember uh, Brother Fred and other pastors saying that if you have one of these little ribbons in there to open up to a second passage. So if you'll open up to Psalm 139 as well and just put that ribbon there because we'll be in Psalm 139 a little bit today. Love for you to flip over to that here in just a few moments. Now, we begin this process or this part of the Sermon on the Mount that continues uh, speaking of the differences between the Pharisees and the correct understanding of the law. In chapter 5, Jesus said these words many times, you have heard it said, right? And so he was telling them, you've heard the Pharisees say this, but I'm going to give you the correct understanding, the correct view of the law. In chapter 6, he continues the same type of theme, but instead of it being, you've heard it said, he says, you've seen this done. You've seen this happen. You've seen the Pharisees do these things. But I tell you, beware of practicing your righteousness for people to see you. Let's pick up in Matthew chapter 6, and I'm actually going to read to you verses 1 through 4, though the whole passage goes through verse 18. And over the next few weeks, we'll be looking at these three pillars of uh, of the Christian faith, which is giving, uh, prayer, and also fasting. It says this in verse 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So what you're giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Let's pray. Father, I confess that I am desperately dependent on you this morning. Father, I can't preach without you doing that in and through me, and I ask, Lord, that you would lead, guide, and direct this time. Holy Spirit, illuminate the pages that we may hear and place this into our lives. And Father, my prayer is not for people to doubt this morning, but for them to hear from you and you alone. And so Father, put me on the front row and let me hear what you're speaking. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we give you all glory. For it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll look at verses 1 through 18, but we must focus in today on verse 1. Because verse 1 uh, could be spoken or is spoken in some sense before each of these pillars. It says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father, with your Father who is in heaven. 
Now, this verse goes closely with Matthew 5, verse 20. And in Matthew 5, verse 20, we saw that Jesus says that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. I want to remind you how profound of a statement, shocking of a statement that would be. For the, the Jewish people would have seen the Pharisees and the scribes as uh, experts of the law. And that they wanted to follow them in their teaching and in their understanding of the law. Some of that was simply because of the language barrier that could have been there. Because they had been gone in exile for such a long time. And when they came back, many of them spoke the language that they learned while they were in Babylon. But Jesus said, he makes this statement that your righteousness must exceed. And, and listen, Jesus isn't saying what you're doing must be more than what they're doing. What he was saying is, is that the kind, your heart, your focus must be on Christ and Christ alone, not on the righteousness of the Pharisees, which is an outward focus. Here, Jesus continues this process of saying that the Pharisees are more focused on their outward appearance than what's going on in their heart. Again, Jesus is saying that truly the heart of the matter is truly a matter of the heart. He begins with this verse word that says, beware. Now, whenever I hear the word beware, my first thought is of beware of a dog. Y'all ever seen that? Whenever you go up to somebody's house and it says, beware of a dog. And what is that telling you? What are they trying to say to you? What they're saying in that moment is that you uh, don't want to cross this perimeter because if you cross this perimeter, there's going to be trouble. Now, at our house, our dog weighs four pounds. So it would just be a sign. But for one who has a big dog, it is a sign that you may want to follow. I'll never forget the very first time that I went to Israel when I was in my early 20s, and we were up on the Golan Heights. I don't take people that far up on the Golan Heights at this point because of a lot of military operations and things that are taking place up there, but we were able to go, and we were walking around, and we were kind of hiking around, and all of a sudden I came up on this sign, and it said, Beware danger, landmines. On the other side, I was like, okay, I'm going this way. I'm not going there. What was it telling me? It was saying, there's a perimeter, there's a line here. Don't cross that line. Because if you do, you are in danger. You're in danger. See, Jesus is telling us, beware, because he recognizes that all of us are prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. So here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. What Jesus is saying here is that he understands the fight of the flesh inside of you that's going to take place even when you come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. There's a battle, as we see in Galatians chapter 5, between the flesh and the Spirit. And Jesus is saying, beware, don't cross that line. 
Remember, Jesus knew that Jeremiah said that the heart is more deceitful than all else. It's desperately sick. And that's why Jesus says that he gives us a new heart, a heart of flesh and not a heart of stone. See, Jesus is telling us to beware of doing what the Pharisees are doing. Now, this is a shocking statement again, because Jesus is now telling them, hey, these are the experts of the law that you think don't follow their actions. I've already told you not to follow their words. Now I'm telling you not to follow their actions and beware because your flesh will long to follow their actions. Now, There's another reason why this may be a shocking statement to the Jewish people is because Jesus just said, literally in Matthew 5, verse 16, He just said, let your light shine before men. Right? It says this in Matthew 5, let's put this up on the screen for him. 5, 16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may what? See... Your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Jesus just spoke that. And now, right here in 6.1, he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men. But there's a main few words that you need to underline. It says, To be noticed by men. Or to be noticed by them. These are the key words that we must see. Jesus calls us to live a righteous life on this earth in front of others. But the question at hand is, what is the motive of your heart? What is the motive of your heart? And so the first thing we're going to look at right here in Matthew 6 verse 1 is we're going to look at the motives. There's really two motives that are going on here. The first one is that the Pharisees' motive of their heart was to be noticed by man. Although, uh, all throughout Scripture, we see that the Pharisees were more concerned with their outward appearance so that people would notice them. Look, we just saw in verse 2 that they would sound the shofar when they were going to give so that people could see. Can you imagine On a Sunday morning before we take tithes and offerings, we got up and somebody stood next to each one of these boxes with a shofar and somebody comes, hang on, let me blow the shofar so everybody will look and see what you're about to do. But that's what it's speaking. It says this, it says, So when you give to the poor, do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue in the streets so that they may be honored by men. They longed to be noticed. Their heart desired the praise and adoration of people. It's so interesting to me that the Pharisees longed for the praise of those who have been created when they could have given their life to glorify the Creator. I think that Luke 18 8 through 14 kind of shows this best. And it really speaks of all three of these pillars that we see in Matthew 6 of prayer and giving and fasting. We see this. It says, Jesus told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. 
Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I'm thankful that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And then he says it, I fast twice a week and I pray. I mean, I pay tithes of all that I get. He's praying here, and he's, this, this Pharisee is saying, hey, I want to speak in a manner to be heard, and I want people to hear I'm not like the tax collector. I want people to hear that I give. I want people to hear that I fast twice a week. I am a righteous man. Jesus describes these actions of the Pharisees. He uses this word. They're hypocritical. They're hypocritical. In Matthew chapter 6, we actually see in each one of these pillars, in giving, in prayer, in fasting, he says, don't be like the what? The hypocrites. Don't be like the hypocrites. Now, this word hypocrite actually comes from an acting term. And I, I got this, uh, I want to share this uh, from... Sinclair Ferguson says it this way. He says, In ancient drama, actors did not wear makeup. They wore masks representing the part they played. What a vivid picture that gives of the hypocrite. He pretends to be one thing, but all the time he really is something different. See, this term actually comes from an acting term. They would say that they were a hypocrite because they were playing a part that's different from who they truly are. Jesus spoke many times. He said the Pharisees were hypocrites. People who on the outside portrayed one thing, but on the inside their hearts were dead. Jesus goes even to great lengths when he says this in Matthew 23, 27 and 28. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but on the inside is full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. So you too outwardly appear righteous, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. It was also said at the beginning of Matthew 15 in verse 7 and 8. It says, You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Uh, think about this for a moment. Jesus is saying, beware of being hypocritical like the Pharisees. Beware of practicing righteousness so that men will see you. For if you do, your reward is in full. The Pharisees were pretending to be righteous when their hearts longed for recognition from people. See, the other side of the true motive is that you either long for the acceptance of people, you either long for the praises of man, or your motives is to please your heavenly Father. 
you know, I, I sit there and I've got two kids. I've got a 10-year-old and now an 8-year-old. They're growing up faster than, than, than I can understand. I tell people all the time, I, I tried to put a brick on their head so they wouldn't keep growing and it just didn't work. But they're growing so fast. And I look at my kids and they long to see the joy and excitement on their dad's face when they do something new. I remember when Sam was like four years old and he flipped a water bottle and it landed upright. And I'm like, okay. And he was like, dad, did you see this? I was like, yeah, you need to flip it in the trash. But I realized, what was he longing for? That, that acceptance, that, that he wanted to show his dad what he had done. He was so excited about it. Church, is that our heart towards God? We've given God our life, every bit of it. And are we longing to please God, our Heavenly Father, with our actions and with what comes forth from our mouth? Is that truly our heart? Is our heart to follow his word so that, that, that he would receive glory, honor, and praise for what comes forth from our life? Is our desire and our longing to reflect his image and his character so that he receives glory, honor, and praise for how we live our life? Now let me just say this. The only way that you can reflect the image and character of God is if you abide and dwell daily in the Holy Spirit. And so when I sit here and I say, that's my longing, I must abide and dwell because I can't do that in my own power or strength. If I could do that in my own power or strength, then people would say, look at David. But because I can't. And when I do abide, and when I do dwell, and when I do reflect His image and character, God is glorified, not me. That's why Matthew 5, uh, 5 verse 20, what we read just a few minutes ago, let your light shine before men so they see your good works, and they glorify who? Your Father who's in heaven. Church, what is the motivation of your heart. Do you live for an audience of one? Or do you live for an audience of many? Now, I want to stop here and just say this. Some people take this passage very literally. And they take this passage and they say, you know what, David? I, 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 if, if I'm going to give, I've got to make sure that it's never seen. Like my left hand can't know my right hand. And if it's seen, then, then, then I've messed up. I've made a mistake. Church, Jesus is talking about your heart. There's going to be times in life that you give that somebody sees. And if your heart is pure before God, then praise God. Maybe it will encourage them to do the same. I'll never forget, as I was asking the Lord to teach me and grow me in the, 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 the understanding of fasting. You know, that's one of the areas that we don't usually do that often. It's not taught about that often, though it will be taught about in a few weeks as we walk through the passage. And I asked the Lord, I said, teach me and grow me in this understanding of fasting. And 
I saw it. It said, you know, put on clean, like wash your face, don't let people. So I would go to lunch because I had a lunch appointment, but I was fasting. I'd sit there and eat, and people say, why aren't you eating? Uh, I'm not hungry today. Uh, okay, well, uh, um, then why, why did we come to lunch today? Well, you know, I wanted to be here. I was trying to go every way around it so that I wouldn't say because I felt like, oh, if I tell them that I'm fasting, then I've done something wrong according to the word. But the question is not whether they find out that I'm fasting or not. The question is, what was my heart's motive in this? A dear friend of mine came to me and he said, David, why do you try to hide if your heart is pure and somebody asks you to go to lunch on a day you're fasting, just share with them that you're fasting and you're going to spend that time in prayer before God. Because in that moment, you know what it's going to do? It's going to encourage them in their walk and may even put in their spirit to go and study about fasting that they may start doing that as well. So this is not a legalistic thing here. This is about the heart. So church, what are the motives of your heart? What's the heart behind your actions? When you speak, do you want to be noticed and praised by men? Or do you desire that the words of your mouth bring glory to God? That's a question I have to ask every Sunday morning before I stand up here. Am I going up there to say, Hey, David did a great job studying this week. Or am I going up there for God's name to be glorified and his word to be preached? Church, when you study God's word, is it so that you can go and show other people what you know? Or is it that God may be glorified and that you truly may decrease and God increase in your life? Students, maybe I don't need to just say students, but students, when you post on social media, is it because you long for the uh, approval and the praises of your peers? Or are you using that to bring glory and honor to God? I say that to students because oftentimes I hear how they long for 25 likes. How they long for, oh, this went viral and people are all looking at this. And they begin to, and I think that we can do that as well. We begin to desire the applause of men even on a social networking. And can I tell you, there's nothing social about social media. People only post their best things. Church, when you give... Do you give because you desire for people to be like, man, that is a generous person? Or do you give because you want God to be glorified, showing that he is the one who provided that for you to give? Have you ever thought about it? You couldn't even give what you gave if it wasn't for God's provision in your life. When you pray publicly, do you want people to be like, man, that person, man, he can pray. Man, 
how he thought of this and his words were so strong and, and, and he had great repetition and, and it was awesome. And, and man, he was, he was singing and worshiping and dancing and man, I just, I want that. Or when you pray, do you cry out to God who's your heavenly father recognizing that if it wasn't for God, we would be nothing. And recognizing that if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus, we would not have access to the throne of God. Can I ask one more? Today, when you prepared to come to worship, not service, worship, we worship here. When you prepared to come to worship this morning, did you spend more time on your outward appearance, on the preparation of your heart? Psalm says, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? And who can stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. When Jesus says this in Matthew 6 verse 1, he says, beware that your motives are pure. Beware that your heart is pure before God. That your desire and longing is to glorify your heavenly Father and not the, uh, the, the applause and the praise of man. Don't be like the hypocrites who put on a mask but inside are dead. When I was growing up as a kid, I heard over and over, I'm not going to church because that's where all the hypocrites are. Y'all have probably heard that before. In church, let's be very transparent and real. There's times, because we're not perfect, that we fall short of the glory of God and we walk in sin. And in that moment, yes, it's hypocritical because we say that we are this, but yet we fall into sin. But here's the reality. We're not living as hypocrites because when we fall, we fall on our face in repentance before holy God. Now you are hypocritical when God reveals and shows you your heart and you say... I'm going to continue walking just like I am. With a heart that's dead, but I'm going to keep on the religious facade. I'm going to keep on the mask. I'm going to tell everybody that I'm religious and I do all these things, but yet in my heart, I recognize that I'm dead. There's another thing that we see here throughout this whole passage, verses 1 through 18, and that is that we see that we have a father who sees. We have a Father who sees. And let me just say it this way. We have a Father who sees all things. This is why I wanted you to open up to, uh, and put Psalm 139 in your, uh, with your ribbon so you can flip over to it. You know, all throughout Scripture, it talks about how God sees all things. But I'm telling you, Psalm 139 is probably the greatest, uh, just uh, multiple passages that come together speaking of this. Let's just look at this for a moment. Verse 2. Well, let's just start in verse 1. O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all. God sees. He is with you. He sees everything, church. I read a commentary 
on this passage, and it, was, it said this. It said, every day when I wake up, I say to myself, God is walking with me today, and he sees everything. There's nowhere that I will go that he will not see what's happening. It continues on. It says, you have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. Listen, David is saying such knowledge is wonderful, that God sees all, that he's there, that he is before, behind, left and right. Let me tell you, if your heart is not pure, if your heart is is hypocritical and you're living a religious life but you're dead, let me tell you, such thoughts are not as wonderful. But it's actually scary. Verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will lay a hold of me. Where can we go, church? He sees all things. Jump to verse 13. For you formed me. You form my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance and in your book were written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. God saw everything before there was even one day in your life. I was born June 19, 1984. And God knew from the dawn of creation every day that would be part of my life. Church, Verse 17, how precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast are them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. Church, we cannot fool God. He sees all and he knows all before it even takes place. So when I ask the question, what's the motive of your heart? God knows. There's a passage in Acts 5 that is kind of scary. It speaks of Ananias and Sapphira and of them giving. And it says this, it says that they sold a piece of property and kept back some of it. With his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back some of the price of the land? Can I tell you? They thought they could fool God. They didn't truly believe that God sees all things. But God does see all things, church. Your heart is laid bare before God, as it even says in the book of Hebrews, that God's word is sharper than a two-edged sword, and it cuts through the bone and marrow all the way down to what? The heart. It says everything is laid bare before him. We know that story, what happened to them. They both died. Why? Because 
they allowed the enemy to fill their heart and they lied to holy God. Listen, God saw and knew exactly what was happening, though they thought that they could lie. Paul says, or Peter said, why have you lied before God? I believe that he could have even said it this way. Why do you lie before God who sees all things? He knows your heart. But you know what the beautiful thing of all this? Is that he knows your heart and he still loves you. Church. He still loves you. The scripture says that when we were sinners, that God sent his son to die on the cross for you. He loves you. And that is why I ask this question today. For some of you, you may say, well, well, David, how do I know if I have a hypocritical heart? How, How do I know? Sometimes I don't know the motive of my heart. Well, praise God, he knows your heart. And in Psalm 139, the last two verses, some of my favorite passages I share all the time, he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know my anxious thoughts, and see if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. Church, are you willing to pray that prayer? Are you willing to say, Father, I don't know of any ill motives in my heart, but I know that my heart outside of you is desperately wicked. I know that the flesh is is trying to come against the Spirit, I'm going to lay before you and say, Father, search my heart. Father, you know me better than I know myself. Show me anything in my life where my heart is, is turned from you, where there's wickedness in my heart, where there's hypocritical things that are going on, Lord. Show me, oh God. And you know what? God will answer that prayer. I've shared with you many times, but I got a hold of that passage as I was reading Heart Cry for Revival by Stephen Olford. It's so interesting. Brother Fred was just, God used Stephen Olford in Brother Fred's life so radically, just an incredible way. And then I didn't even know that when I picked up one of his books and it absolutely, God used it to absolutely just change portions of my understanding. And it was the same message that Brother Fred heard live years ago. And one of the things that said, would you dare to pray this prayer, God, search me and show me anything in my life that's hypocritical towards you. Anything in my life where my my flesh is, is rising up that I don't see. And can I tell you, God started showing me some things. God showed me how much of a people pleaser I truly was. And how I would turn it to be very religious. I would say, well, God, if, if, if people are, this is when I was in youth ministry. God, if people are pleased, if the youth are, you know, if, if I can uh, make them happy and joyful and, and they'll come and then more will come. And because they're coming, I can share the gospel, God. And the Lord says, David, are you going to please me or are you going to please man? But God, don't you see what I'm doing? David, you have a root This massive tree of people pleasing. Are you going to let me cut it down? And God showed me. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, that tree got taken down. But can I tell you that there's still roots of that tree sometimes? 
And God shows me that root and this root and that root. And, and I get to, to put the Holy Ghost power on that root. And you know what happens? That root goes away. Church, God knows your heart. Would you dare to say, God, search me. Know me. Show me any evil way about me. But you must see that as a way to look more like Christ. As he shows us that, we repent, we lay it down, and we say, thank you, God, for showing that and giving me forgiveness and mercy and grace, that I may lay this down, that I may look more like Jesus. In Matthew 6, there's a third thing I want us to see today. And then we'll close with this. We're in Matthew 6, 1 again. It says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. The third thing that we see here is that there's a reward. Church, there's a reward for those who seek the applause of men. And there's a reward for those who seek to glorify God with all their heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 through 15 speaks of this very clearly. It says, it says, For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if a man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, and straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire itself will itself will test the quality of each man's work. If a man's work, which has been built on it, remains, he'll receive a reward. If a man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as through fire. Church, the first reward is from man. Jesus says, talking about giving, prayer, and fasting, he says that if you're sounding the trumpet, wanting to be seen by man, if you're praying in ways that, that you want people to say, whoa, great job, you're a good prayer, or you're fasting and putting on a gloomy face, oh, I'm fasting, look at how righteous I am. God says, you have received your reward in full. And what is that reward? What people think about you. They're applauding. Hey, great job. In full. It's that wood, hay, and straw. The foundation is Christ Jesus. The foundation is Jesus. But if your focus is, hey, look at me, it's that wood, hay, and straw. And when that testing comes, the wood, hay, and straw, it's what? It's burned up. But those whose hearts are pure before God, it says, then they build with gold, silver, and precious stones. And they receive a gift, an eternal reward. That we can ultimately lay that reward before Christ. You know, whenever I think about this reward, there's a lot of things that, that I want to try to think in my mind. But let me just tell you, first off, we know that it's eternal life. Jesus says the free gift of God is eternal life, right? We recognize that. But whenever I think about this reward, I can't, I can't fully grasp what that's going to look like. But let me tell you this, that everything that you receive in a reward is only because of the power of the Holy Spirit that did it in and through you. 
And so when we get to heaven and God gives a reward, that reward is simply laid back before the throne of God saying, you did this in and through a life that was submitted to you. I love what it says on down in Matthew 6, in verse 19 and 20, which we'll get to in a few weeks. But it says, Do not store up your treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up your treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I was told as a kid, that if you want to know where somebody's treasure is, just look at their checking book, checkbook. I'm still trying to figure out what a checkbook is. But what they were saying is that where people give, where people put their, their time, their energy in, that's where their heart is. Church, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at giving practically. We're going to look at prayer practically. We're going to look at fasting practically. But today the question is this, is your heart fully God's? Have you asked God, search me and know me? When you come into worship on a Sunday morning, is your heart truly his? Do you come in saying, man, I, I, you know, people are going to see me, so I've got to make sure I wear my best, and, 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 and you know, I've got to put on a smile and all this. Or do you come in and say, I'm coming to worship corporately with the body of Christ. I'm going to prepare my heart for a time of worship. When you leave here today, you're worshiping. We continue worship as we leave. Where is your heart? Is it for people in our community to see you and say, whoa, great, great job? Or are you wanting people to see who your father is, high and lifted up, that he is the king of kings, lord of lords, and the only way that you can live this life is through his power and strength? You may say, well, David... There's things in my heart that I'm struggling with right now. So how do I respond? How do I deal with this? I think that we go back to the words of Joel. In Joel chapter 2, verse 12, he said, Yet even now declared as the Lord, Return to me with all your heart. And with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart, not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and relenting of evil. Church, will we? Say, God, if there's any area of my life, may I return to you with my whole heart. Church, as we close, I remind you of the words of Jesus at the very beginning. He said, beware. Beware of practicing so that people, your righteousness so that people would see. Beware. And I believe that one of the reasons that he spoke that was because he knew that our heart was prone to wonder. He knew that there's a battle between the flesh and the spirit. He knew that there would be that struggle. So may we today, of the words of Joel, return with our whole heart 
and rend our hearts, not our garments, before holy God. May we cry out to God and say, search me, know me, show me any evil way about me. Father, I don't want to be like the hypocrites who wear a mask knowing that there's something different on the inside. I want to show the world who I am on the inside and I'm fully yours. Would we return with all our heart?